following the preaching, we will sing together Psalter 203, but first we will have a word of prayer that the Lord bless his word preached. Dear congregation belonging to Christ, this morning we get to consider a goodwill wish from John the Apostle to a dear friend of his. The name of that friend is, children, do you know? Gaius. And it would be good if your Bibles are open as we go through our text and its context this morning. And Gaius, you should know, it's a Roman name, which means he was likely a Christian from the Gentiles. There are at least three other people by the name of Gaius in the New Testament, all of whom were in some way associates of the Apostle Paul. This Gaius of our text, of whom the letter of 3 John, to whom it's written, is likely someone else again. And we just do not know anything more about him than what's said about him in this very short letter. You notice, John doesn't write him as an apostle so much as an elder. It could be that this Gaius was also an elder in the congregation where he served. But again, we do not know for certain. What is clear is that John writes this Gaius viewing him as a dear, beloved brother and friend. The word beloved, did you notice? Speaking of Gaius by John, is found at least four times. Verse 1, 2, 5, and 11. Obviously, John appreciated this Gaius very much. When we appreciate someone and love them, especially in the Lord, we should, we should express love that way too, shouldn't we? Too often we can fail to be expressing our love to one another as we ought. John speaks of Brother Gaius here as a gracious model and great blessing for the Christian church and the extension of the gospel ministry in his time. How wonderful to have Gaius types in the church. Yes, also here. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. When you are a Gaius in this congregation, how good to pray and desire to be like Gaius, like he was long ago in his generation, that we be the same today in our generation. And in connection with that, what we want to focus on, especially this morning, is verse 2 of 3 John. We read there, John addressing Gaius saying, what does he say? Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. This is both a goodwill, wish, and prayer of for Gaius. How special, by the way, when our goodwill wishes for each other are also prayers for one another. You know, when you and I say to each other, well, I, I wish you a good day, or a great week, or, or pretty soon Christmas, a blessed Christmas, and a happy new year. How good when, when these are not just words from us to one another, but also at the same time, petitions and intercessions with God for each other. That's how it was here. And, and that surely is a good example to follow. 
the goodwill wish of John for Gaius was, was also his prayer for this man. Is that characteristic of, of us too? That our good wishes to others, our desires for one another, are also prayers to God for each other. Let God's word be a lamp to our feet and a light upon our path. Also in this regard, dear congregation. Going on, how good and no doubt beneficial it is for us to look closer at what actually John wished and prayed for for his dear friend Gaius. Again, the verse. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. The theme for our sermon on this text is John's prayerful desire for Gaius. Let's consider and learn together how it is truly remarkable, instructive, and precious. With our first point about it being truly remarkable, this prayer wish for Gaius is, what, what do you see as remarkable here in what John says? Maybe I should explain the word remarkable when we say something is remarkable, it's not a common word so much, but we mean it's really noteworthy. It's, it's something actually astonishing. It's something you might say extraordinary. What do you find extraordinary and remarkable in 3 John verse 2? Would you agree with me? Isn't it truly remarkable that John wishes and prays here that Gaius physical and material well-being be as great as his spiritual health. We don't normally say that, do we? Namely, I hope you are doing as well physically and materially as you are spiritually. If anything, we tend to reverse that usually, don't we? I see that you're doing well physically and Materially and hopefully spiritually too. Hopefully you're doing well that way as well in a healthy state. But you see in this case with Brother Gaius, it's the exact opposite. Isn't it? Listen to how one commentator brings this out. John's prayer he wrote for Gaius is significant. Gaius' spiritual state was so excellent that John prayed that his physical health would match his spiritual vigor. To ask one's, about one's health was standard custom in ancient letters, but John accepted the convention in a unique manner to highlight Gaius's vibrant spiritual state. Again, I ask, don't, don't you find this truly remarkable? If I would wish for you that you be as well physically and materially as you are spiritually, would that be a prayer wish you would appreciate today? Or would you say, oh, oh no, pastor, if you pray like that, I would be in big trouble physically and materially because, well, my soul condition and, and my spiritual health are, are nothing much to speak about. If anything more in poor shape than in good shape or more sickly than well. Oh, if anything, my friend, dear Elder John, please pray for me that my spiritual condition will be at least as healthy as my physical and material condition. Can you identify with that more? 
Would you be in really bad condition if you were in other ways as your spiritual condition right now? How true what another said. There are multitudes of people who are deeply concerned about the health of their bodies and who bestow utmost care on the needs of their bodies, but they never give a thought to their health of their souls, or hardly so. Oh, how remarkable the contrast in the case of this case. Indeed, for you see with me here, don't you, that this Gaius, he was a dear Christian in the early church who was prospering spiritually above all. And the hope is the same might be true for him physically and materially. And you know what else is really remarkable about this? Clearly, John is not just being a flatterer here. You know, he's not just saying something nice without really meaning it at all. No, John obviously has evidence that this Gaius is really doing well, spiritually speaking. Do you know what the evidence is? Well, we read it in, in the book, in the letter. This Gaius, he was walking in the truth. This means his Christian confession of faith showed itself to be genuine in his daily life. Gaius walked the talk. He had a godly reputation as a man of integrity with others in the church and outside the church, in private and in public. He was known as one who humbly and heartily practiced what he preached. Gaius wasn't a phony, hypocritical, confessing Christian. No. But he was a person whom you could tell in his daily conduct. He truly loved and followed the Lord. In fact, John gives two details about Gaius and his Christian walk. For one, he was very hospitable to Christian workers, ministers, and evangelists, traveling evangelists who would be passing through the area and would need a place to stay. We can't think of that hardly, but in those days, the people, there would be missionaries and evangelists who would be strangers to Gaius and even to the congregation, but they, they were traveling Christians in the service of Christ and his gospel cause. And this Gaius, the, the chapter brings out, he would wonderfully and lovingly and even self-sacrificingly host them and help them along in their basic needs. Dear congregation, showing Christian charity and hospitality and generosity is a key demonstration of true spiritual health. Don't forget. And the second evidence of Gaius doing well spiritually is that he loved helping in any way that would somehow further and promote the gospel cause and extend the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ around the world. He was all intent on that. In other words, this Gaius, he, he loved the brethren and he loved Christ's church and gospel cause and he lived in promotion of it as best he could, when and where he could and was able. This was his focus and his passion in life. Dear congregation, true love to God and to the Lord Jesus always becomes evident in true love to the Lord's church and the extension of his church and kingdom. Is that the way it is with us? 
Gaius' life, you see it in our text passage, by God's grace and spirit, showed these fruits of true faith and faithfulness before God and others. We read in verse 3, other Christians spoke of this Gaius as being a blessed brother in the Lord in both creed and conduct. Is that, is that what can be said of us? Of you? Of me? You know, sometimes people think and say about themselves that they are doing very well spiritually. But there's no evidence of it as such. There's no growing love for, for God's truth. And no genuine or obvious care for God's church and for his kingdom, both for its workers and its extension. Let's learn from Gaius here and what John writes about him. He was opposite this other person that we, is mentioned in this little letter. The man whose name is Diotrephes. You see that in verse uh, 9. Diotrephes, he comes across as neither an attractive nor model church member. Though he was a leader in the church at the time. And he may have been an orthodox man, not a heretic, but he was, he was someone who was always looking out just for himself. He was out to elevate himself. He wanted the preeminence. He was looking for his own honor and prestige. He wasn't being a self-forgetting servant of the Lord for the cause of Christ. In contrast to this, Brother Gaius was by God's grace and spirit all out for God's honor and well-being. And he was serving humbly and zealously, giving himself for the Christian church and its ministry. When you and I are spiritually healthy, like Gaius in our text, won't the same be true of us by God's spirit? And again I say, blessed the church family and congregation where the members are like Gaius, both so genuinely Christian in the faith and, and focused in godly, humble loving service as he was in his life. How wonderful when you and I may be so transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, no longer serving sin and self and this world as we do by nature, but seeking and serving the Lord above all and praying that so we may be led and blessed in our lives. Can I ask you, do you, do you want to be like Gaius in this regard? Don't all true believers Want that and pray for that. And isn't this what we pray for too as parents, for our children, and, and as believers, for loved ones unsaved, and as Christians, for those around us, and, and as consistory for the congregation? When truly saved, we know the one thing needful is to be right with God. And we have no greater joy than when our loved ones and our congregation are walking in the truth. And we have no greater sorrow when we see them turn away from the truth. Are you someone who brings sorrow to your parents because you're not walking in the truth nor living by God's way? Or are you bringing joy? Joy also to the consistory because they see you blossoming in God's way of grace and truth. Oh, congregation, there's nothing that can be as important as necessary and necessary shall it be well with us that we be gayest-like is this not what you and I emphasize also with the upbringing of our children and in our relations with others around us? 
we've learned, haven't we? Everything is out of sorts. If a person is not right with God, is there anyone here who hasn't learned that yet? As one study Bible note mentions, quote, the most important prosperity is the flourishing of the soul in union with Christ. Paul called all other things but dung and loss compared to this. And Jesus said in Mark 8, verse 36 to 37, for what does it profit a man if, if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you and I live, do you and I live caring about our spiritual health and those of others as the highest priority matter in our lives? Can we not say, Correctly, this is what our text surely is commending to us. Should we not see behind John's prayer wish for Gaius also what God himself is clearly holding here before us as something that we each should never forget and should understand and always keep in mind. Your and my future condition and present condition Whatever else may be going on in our life, materially, physically, it can never be described healthy and well if we are not redeemed by Christ and not loving Christ, nor living for God's church and kingdom. Do we all believe this with all our heart? What our text here teaches clearly. Except we be born again and have a heart Focused on God. Led by Him. No matter how we may prosper. It's going to be meaningless. We'll come back to that a little later. What is it our text is saying to us? It's saying our primary focus and care and preoccupation should be that it be well with our soul. Yes, that Jesus Christ be your and my Savior and Lord, and that we live in daily and private, in public ways, praising God, living for Him, serving Him. And that our lives also give evidence of that by His grace and Spirit. I said to someone this week, quoting Proverbs 14:30, a sound heart is the life of the flesh. If you have a sound heart, even if you have a broken back, you have the life of the flesh. More than someone who's running and jogging, all healthy and well, but doesn't know God. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. And that's what's being taught here in our text as well from 3 John. How good when you and I learn from Gaius and John's prayer concerning him this prayer, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Oh, it's pretty convicting, isn't it, congregation? And if this prayer and text of 3 John verse 2 convicts you now and you, and you realize you need to reorient your life to a truly biblical and Christian mindset and focus, well, Will you do that? Will you repent before God and ask for him to make you Gaius-like too? Let's realize Gaius here is not an exceptional Christian in what John writes about him, but with him we are shown what true Christianity looks like. 
opposed to false and worldly Christianity. Gaius was a godly man by the grace of God in and through Jesus Christ. And what the Savior was for him, he will be for sinners like us, and for all his people today too, as we call on him and plead his mercy and grace. Isn't our text like what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, also material, physical matters, shall be added to you. You know, too often we want to just add the spiritual to our main focus of caring for ourselves physically and materially. But God's word teaches us here, let the spiritual matters be our first and highest priority in life and we can look to God for our physical and material well-being as well as further gifts of his mercy and grace in our lives. Well, are we listening as we hear all this? John's prayerful desire for Gaius. Let's not miss how truly remarkable this text is through John verse 2. And then secondly, how really instructive it is as well. How is it really instructive? Well, we already mentioned the one way in that how it helps us and reminds us what needs to be our first priority in life from our childhood till our last breath. And isn't it instructive that God again and again in all his word graciously reminds us of this matter? Won't every true Christian so appreciate this? And so thank God for this because we know our, we know how easy we forget and go astray. And thank God he knows our frame. He remembers our busyness and cares. He sees us in all life's activities. And he knows how we can so easily lose focus and be sidetracked and distracted from putting first things first in our lives. Even in church life, believe it or not, we can make ourselves so busy, but still with mind and heart be estranged from God. Oh, the devil loves to have us become caught up in everything and anything except heartily looking to Jesus Christ and abiding in him and his word. But let's learn from the example of godly Gaius and John's prayer in regards to him. Always to put the Lord and his word and his way, his church and his kingdom first and foremost in our lives. But having stressed that, do we not find in 3 John verse 2 and the whole book two other things so wonderfully instructive? I mean, don't you find it very instructive the way John, we need to get this, he doesn't discount the matter of our physical health and material well-being. You know, nowhere, nowhere in the Bible actually, your congregation, are we, are we taught to despise or belittle the cares in life that we have in regards to our health, in regards to our prosperity? No, and please see this and be assured, the Lord cares about that too for us. Namely, our physical and material well-being. This prayer surely shows that. God made us flesh and bones, body and soul, and he cares about all our needs, including our physical and material well-being. We see that expressed in this prayer wish. 
And can we not find this reassuring considering to the difficult times in which we live? It's tough out there. Yes, there are health challenges, but there are many work challenges, many life challenges. You just listen to the radio or read, read magazines and it'll come out again and again. It's hard. We live in tough times. It's hard to make money to live. It's hard to buy groceries and be able to have enough for the whole family. It's hard to get housing. Lots of challenges in life. But we can fall into the error and think, well, that's, that's not spiritual. We may bring this to God too. We may bring all matters of daily life involving our health and wealth, anxieties and concerns to the Lord in prayer and know that he cares. Someone said to me the other day, I don't always have time to read the Bible and pray as I would wish. She was the mother of four children and, and, and someone advised her, well, you know, the Lord understands. Pray while you're folding the wash. Pray while you're doing the dishes. Wash me clean through Jesus' blood. The Lord knows our schedules. He's been here on earth. He's worked too. I talked to a dad the other day. He said, you know, I get up early in the morning before six. and I'm often not home till after six, after seven. And, and I don't always get around to, to the spiritual reading of scripture that I want to. Bring that to God. And maybe you'll find ways. Even while you're driving your truck. To listen to a message. Or, or to listen to scripture reading. Whatever. But the point here is. The Lord isn't only concerned about you and me spiritually. No, he's also concerned and caring about us physically, mentally, emotionally, materially, as well as spiritually. God is good for our whole being. He's out to care for his people in every way for soul and body, for this life and the life to come. The scriptures invite us, and we need to be reminded of this, we may cast not just some of our cares upon him, but all our cares. Also the stressful cares of living here and now and making a living and raising the family. And we should know too from our text and from the rest of scripture, it's not wrong either to be working and striving to do well and to prosper in this life. In fact, this is how God made us, or not. We were made to have dominion over this earth and to excel in living for God and good. And what our text brings out, we may prosper in this life and, and busily seek that even as long as, as our focus remains being spiritually minded in all things and seeking above all, not our glory, but God's glory and not our earthly home here, but the heavenly home in the world to come. As Paul teaches in Colossians, if we are Christians living in union and communion with Christ, our life's mindset and our heart bent needs to be not on things on this earth, even as we're busy with it, but on things above where Christ Jesus, the Savior, lives and reigns. And all things are to be done to his glory. And we need to live and do our work always remembering life on earth is temporary and there's an eternal world to come. You know, and we are busy. Someone has used the letters of the word busy in two ways, B-U-S-Y, being useful under Satan's, B-U-S-Y, I gotta think of it now, I forgot it, oh yeah, busy, B-U-S-Y, busy under Satan's yoke, that, that's, that's our way nature, by nature, busy under Satan's yoke, 
But the Lord, when he saves us, he works that we be busy under the Savior's yoke. And we may bring everything to him as we are busy in life, in and for him. Our text shows us that, yes, we so easily become imbalanced, don't we? And our default imbalance is, yes, to be all focused on the here and now and, and to forget the hereafter and what really counts. At the same time, congregation, I'm convinced of this from the scriptures, we do need to beware of the imbalance of disregarding the here and now and thus minimizing our earthly cares and responsibilities as if they don't count for anything and even thinking that's not spiritual. God doesn't even care about all that part of our lives. It is not so. Here we can refer even to God's counsel to the Jewish exiles way back in Babylon during the Babylonian captivity. We read in Jeremiah 29, verse 5 and following, God speaking through his prophet to the people then, saying, Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. The reason for bringing this forward, dear congregation, is to stress the importance of balance in our lives. Balance in our lives. We, we are not healthy, exemplary Christians when only all focus on God and his church and kingdom and caring less for the material and, and physical needs and for our business and daily jobs and responsibilities. For our children and youth too, never is it right to say or to act as if while you're so spiritually minded, you can't be bothered to do your schoolwork. Or you can't be taking care of your body as you should, as best you can. Or you can't be bothered to be helping with the chores in and around the home. No. And here it is in order to mention, congregation, how it is the characteristic of cults, cults and false religions to be imbalanced in one way or another. Some cults, for example, will emphasize so much one or two aspects of the Christian faith while completely ignoring and discounting other aspects. So, for example, a cult may say, forget your family connections. Forget them when joined with us. And likely they will also say, forget your money and your business resources, for, for they now become the common possession of the cult leaders and the community. Likewise, you, you maybe run across this too. Some false religions, they so emphasize the matter of, of, of fasting and, and transmeditation and, and they, they discount proper eating. And, and some so talk about, you know, emptying your mind of everything. But the Bible says we're to use our mind. The Christian life is about with renewed mind and heart, seeking and serving the Lord. We need to be balanced. Do you see with me how our text helps against false beliefs and imbalanced practices as it highlights our spiritual health above all without in any way discounting or denying our physical and material well-being in life? Do you see the beautiful balance here? 
How important that we each see this holy and wholesome balance that the scriptures time and again teach us when rightly understood and faithfully followed. Again, today, there are cults out there that are basically semi-Christian. And they, they're plainly unchristian, though they sound Christian. And they speak of being truly holistic and, and loving Jesus groups, but they resemble more this this the other things in three John. They're looking for their own preeminence, their own glory, and they cults usually revolve around some strong dominant personality and some strong one program or or pill or or something they want to emphasize. And it's all about their own glory. It's not balanced at all in the way Gaius was and the way John prayed for Gaius. There's a lot of so-called false, holistic teaching and behavior out there. Also at our universities, I know of a young man from a Christian church who got caught up in a cult. The parents are still trying to get him back. How we need to be discerning of the evil spirits and antichrist also in our times. John writes in 1 John 4, Beloved, test the spirits to see whether they be of God, they be of God or not. What reasons do to pray for our younger generation that they may not be taken in by the smooth-talking lies of the devil and this ungodly world instead of living in the way of God's Holy Spirit-inspired, infallible word? So with our text, it's not improper for me to ask, not improper for me to ask, are you balanced in your thinking and living especially too in regards to your testimony of Christianity as a church member faithful? in our times. Shouldn't we all, when confessing believers, aim for holy balance in our lives and truly blessing, and true blessing in our lives in the way of 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. How good, congregation, when we pray for each other that we be spiritually healthy and that the Lord bless us also physically and materially to his praise in his loving kindness and tender mercy. And again, this doesn't necessarily mean we will never meet with difficulties and material setback and physical sickness, financial loss, and even death. But when viewed in the humbly Dependent perspective of our text, we know, don't we? We have true comfort and help in all our earthly journey. Yes, including in the valley of the shadow of death. The triune God in Christ Jesus, he's called the God of all comfort in all our trials and tribulations. Yes, in our every need of soul and body. Well, what if someone listening here this morning says, you know what, pastor? I'm just not interested in all this Christian teaching that you're giving. What the Bible says as the way of salvation and the way of really living, I'm, I'm not convinced and I'm, I'm, I'm turning my back from it. It could be that there's one or more like that among us this morning. You're not interested. You're not really listening now either. Well, what shall we say to that? Well, it's not what we say to, to it, but what does God's word say? God's word says, if you refuse and reject the teaching of scripture and the one only gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be left to your deluded, depraved self and you will live an empty, imbalanced life 
and die a hopeless death and face a horrific eternity under the righteous judgment of God. That's right. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? 1 Peter 4, verse 17b. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Your prosperity won't get you to heaven. Whatever you have become, if you are without Christ, you are without hope and without help. As a godly contemporary preacher has faithfully written, you should be terrified if you have the truth, and yet that truth does not grip, control, and transform you. The Bible says, he that covers his sins shall not prosper. Shall not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. The Bible says, though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. But the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. What fools we people can be of ourselves. I pray that no one here in this church family lives and dies rejecting the gospel teaching of all the scriptures, all 66 books, and also that of 3 John verse 2 this morning. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. And here, dear congregation, we have John's prayerful desire for Gaius. And we've seen how uh, we've seen how this verse brings out gospel tidings truly remarkable and really instructive. And notice yet how it brings out gospel tidings most precious too. What is most precious about this prayerful desire for Gaius and by all Christians for all Christians? What is most what is most precious? Well, we have a God who hears and answers prayer. He hears and answers prayer. Through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is what the Savior came to this world. We're soon going to remember Christmas. Where Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save sinners. He came to make lost, fallen sinners like us whole in every way. In soul and body. For this life and for the life to come. You know, sin has made us so miserably distorted and deformed. And such ruined image bearers. Of ourselves. But Jesus came to make sinners whole. Wilt thou be made whole? We read as a question of Jesus. In John 5 verse 6. And Jesus asked that question. Knowing he would make that paralytic whole. He makes sinners whole. How does he do that? Well do you know? The whole gospel tiding and message is. Jesus Savior when he came to this earth. He was perfectly whole in his spiritual life all the time. But as sin bearer, oh, how he suffered in anguish in his soul, enduring the eternal wrath of God on sinners' behalf. And as a human being, he was totally sinless. Yet in his human frame and body, oh, how he suffered and endured so much anguish. Yes, in body and soul giving his life a ransom for many, even to the death on the cross. The Bible says, Jesus says, I am made as a worm and no man. And as far as prospering in this life, well, think of it. Jesus, we know, 
He had very little to his name, didn't he? What poverty and shame he went through. Often having no place to lay his head even. And needing to borrow a donkey. And, and having food and drink most lovingly supplied to him by others mostly. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9? For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That ye through his poverty might become rich. And you know, your pastor preached, I think, in Philippians 3 the other day about how the Lord is rich to us, soul and body. Body too. He'll take our vile bodies and transform it like unto Christ's glorious body. I spoke this week with a person in the care home where I work who had one leg amputated about a year ago. And he told me, the other one has to be amputated too now. And he's a Jew, but he's also a confessing Christian. And I said to him, when you are a Christian, you know, you're going to get a new body one day. The Lord takes care of everything. He makes us whole. If not in this life, he will perfectly in the life to come. Congregation, that's the gospel truth. When the Lord Jesus is your my Savior, by grace through faith in him, and we're focused on him, he promises all the help we need in our lifetime responsibilities here and now. And he pledges to us an eternal world to come for all his redeemed in the new heavens and earth where we will prosper forever in ways unimaginable in soul and body. Yes, most certainly so. Spiritually, physically, materially, mentally, emotionally, and socially as well. You see, Jesus came to give abundant life and fullness of life and everlasting life and balanced and most beautiful, blessed life. Already here and now, in part. And then an infinite perfection and measure hereafter. That's his word. So it's most precious, this prayer of John for Gaius. Because what the Lord all gives for his people. He never puts his people to shame. Nothing can compare to knowing him and trusting and following him. So this is my prayer for you as John for Gaius. And let us pray together for each other in this way. John's prayerful desire for Gaius. Truly remarkable instructive and precious by the way those points r-i-p you know sometimes you see that r-i-p stands for rest in peace the way to rest in peace is to have the way of gaius and to pray for one another like we read in three john two and the lord is mighty to so bless us never because we deserve it but only always for Jesus' sake alone. Even so, one more time, beloved. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your word is actually so amazing. It's very convicting. But Lord, please work graciously in all our hearts, like you did in Gaius' heart and life. And what a testimony he was in his day. And how wonderful when we may pray for one another, like John did for, for Gaius. And Lord, we pray that our children, our young people, and us as older ones in middle age and in the busyness of life, and, and when we are older, that we may have the perspective and the balanced 
mindset as taught in our text. And we thank you that while you care so much for us spiritually speaking, you don't not care for us physically and materially as well. You are a great God and greatly to be praised. May that be the fruit also of this sermon. By your grace and spirit, and to you be all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, one more thing. And Lord, please bless the Sunday school classes and catechism classes and the teachers and children. Bless that instruction too in your loving kindness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Psalter 203 is a good song to sing in response also to this text. And 